Welcome to Remarkable Woman Radio. I am your host, Mandy Beverly. This is a podcast for women by women. As we know, a rising tide lifts all boats, but sometimes we know there can be a few stormy seas. So when the tough times happen, the proverbial hits the fan, what do you do? Who do you have to become in the process? That's the real story, and that's remarkable. We love to tell the story of women that are a few steps further ahead on their own entrepreneurial journey. They know exactly what it feels like to be where you are. So these women are not only paving the way for themselves, but they're also paving the way for the women that follow in their footsteps. This is Remarkable Woman Radio. Welcome along to Remarkable Woman Radio. I'm here today with my friend Justine Lamont from Good to Great Parenting. She is a lady that a lot of women or a lot of households actually um, have in high demand um, because she will help you have a great relationship with your children. So welcome along to Remarkable Woman Radio, Justine. Thank you so much, Mandy. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I wanted to um, just ask you a little question about how you got started on becoming a parenting coach, because I know it's not your first career. Uh, So can you tell us a little bit about what made you shift to become a parenting coach? Mm -hmm. That's such a good question. Um, Well, for me, getting into parenting was something that really evolved um, because I'd always wanted to be a lawyer from a really young age. And I was one of those students who was quite diligent and really determined to do law. Um, So after I worked in New Zealand as a lawyer, I went to the UK where I met my husband. Uh, And so I, I ended up being in a situation where I had a gorgeous baby and a gorgeous impulsive preschooler um, and it sent me on a sort of quest if you like to find out how I could understand what was going on with the preschool stage um, yeah so that's that, that was the beginning the impetus if you like uh, yeah I got a lot of advice on um, how to manage that including um, one lady who said to me you know Justine I think because my son was biting at the time she said I think what you need to do is you've got to bite him back um so yeah that was a, a straight away a real challenge for me and made me have a bit of a light bulb moment to think that I needed to do things a little differently and find out what what things I could do to understand him a bit better oh well, well done on that you know well obviously it took you down quite a um, for quite a journey and now you're actually helping others and I know the the toddler stage is never easy for any of us um, but it's great that you actually um, started to go down that rabbit hole and came out the other side as a parenting coach because I'm sure you've got lots of wisdom to share with with all your clients so what um, so once you found out what to do or what you are comfortable doing as a parent, what made you decide to carry on to become a parenting coach? Mm. Um, so, so what I found was that um, it's possible to look at what goes on with our children and to try and work out what their needs are. Um, and so my experience changed not only the way that I look at my, um, you know, children, but it also helped me understand myself better and what makes other people tick. 
Um, so, you know, in the early days, I was really just exploring those kinds of ideas and what they meant. And I got involved in a training program in London. Um, there wasn't any guarantee that I'd get through or make it as a um, you know, person being a parenting coach. But in the end, what I worked out was um, I had a talent for teaching this to other people and, and working on it myself, which is something that I'm still doing today. Um, like all the people out there, I'm just a parent uh, working through my own concerns that I have for my family. Um, so everything is is based on my, my professional training, but also on everything I do uh, in my own home. And that is it's kind of nice that you say that because I think that must be a relief for a lot of clients or a lot of listening listeners here is that it is a work in progress. You can't expect perfection overnight. And um, do we feel sorry for your children for um, for you practicing on them as <laughs> as you go? <laughs> uh, I'm sure my children feel sorry for themselves from time to time. Um, they have been known to say to me, "Mum, how can you be a parenting coach? You're so bad at this." Um, so you know, there's nothing like your children to be those great sort of very honest people. It's very uh, humbling. It's a great leveler for all of us to experience that kind of um, constructive criticism. <laughs> constructive in <laughs> yeah inverted commas yeah <laughs> so yeah. what's one thing that you wish you had known when you began your journey as either a mum or a parenting coach because you've interweaved them both it'll be quite an interesting answer I'm sure yeah um so one of the things that I learned uh eventually was that our behavior is um sort of categorized into two different kinds of behavior and um when we're babies when we're born as infants we are programmed to have sort of stress-based responses and they're all survival instincts we don't have any control over them um, so we call those the bottom-up behaviors very much based on the primitive parts of the brain uh, and then over time we develop what we know are the top-down thinking behaviors and those are things which um, parents scaffold and help children to develop um, and they don't really show up properly until the prefrontal cortex is closed over until the mid-20s and for some people, that's much, much later. Um, so we know that that's a long journey. And I suppose what would have been helpful for me to understand was that a lot of the, the challenging behaviour that parents face, especially when their children are toddlers or maybe teenagers, because the, unfortunately the toddler does return, um, you, you get a lot of these stress-based responses and they're all bottom-up. Um, and so it's our job to, to really work on ways that we can help um, get them into habits where they're using their top-down thinking. But, yeah, it's not easy, and, and that's what I work on. No, you know, and you brought up a really good point about the prefrontal cortex not being formed until into their, you know, early mid-20s. And I see, and I'm and I'm looking back to myself as well as a parent because my girls are all in their 20s now, and I, you know, we often give our children a lot of choice. And... I'm wondering whether sometimes it's almost too much choice because their brains are not fully formed yet. They don't have the information that we have in order to make some of those decisions. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sort of wondering whether as parents, do we give too much power to the children and maybe not take enough on ourselves? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I guess that's also a challenge because um, when I started learning about this stuff 15 years ago, parenting is just like anything else. Um, you know, it has fashions, it has flavours. Um, and at the time, the thing that people were saying was, you know, you have to praise the good and ignore the bad. Um, and, and the problem with that, though, is that if you've got a child who's, who's behaving in a way which is not acceptable, you there are certain behaviours you just can't ignore. So, you know, obviously biting would fall into that category but lots of other things like you know they won't do their homework or tidy up their room and and so parents can get drawn into these kinds of battles Uh, and and so what I think parents need to do is they need to be really big on empathy in terms of yeah we want a relationship which is very strongly connected but we also need to have some quite good boundaries in place or limits so yeah the choices that you might offer your child have to kind of be within sort of certain limits that you know are uh, relevant to the particular child that you've got um, and so that's that's a constant thing for us as parents working out you know where our child is in terms of their development um, what's an appropriate limit for this particular child you know you might even have in a family um, a child who is the eldest but um, maybe their sibling who's a bit younger than them because they're able to operate at a higher level of risk um, they might get their driver's license earlier or something like that so you know as the parents we are the ones who you know keep them safe so we, the the limits that they have have to keep them safe. Yeah. Um, but everything that we're doing, we, we, we've got to have a high level of empathy. But I think that's quite a difficult concept for people because they, they think they can either be kind or they can be sort of firm. Um, it's quite hard for people to work out how to be both. I know I can remember that if I said, because there's certain times when I perceive that the kids test, they're testing the water to see who's in charge. And one is the toddler time mm-hmm. and one is, you know, the early, the, the, the teenage time. I mean, mm-hmm. there's various times, all, all of it, but there mm-hmm. are two, you know, quite marked times that can become very stressful. And I know that if I said no, then it was no. But if I said maybe, they interpreted that as a yes. And to come back from that maybe was actually harder than if I just said no straight away, saying no, and these are the reasons why, you know, things like that. Like we will not drive, we will not get in the car, the car will not start unless the seatbelts are on is a game I used to play with my children because they were, they would get in the, put all the car seats because they had three quite close together and they're going, I don't want to put my seatbelt on. And I'm like, how am I going to get around this? And so I remember going, okay, well, we don't go anywhere then. So I'm in there with poison. I said, you watch. As soon as you put your seatbelt on, you watch. The car will start. So they put their seatbelt on, and literally I had the key turned straight away, and suddenly they thought they made the car start by putting their seatbelt on. So it was kind of this game of, well, okay, well, you can do it your way, or we can try it my way. and. Yeah, I'm pleased to say it worked. <laughs> but I, I had to get I, creative sometimes. Yeah. Well, I like that creativity and I love the fun aspect because we know that kids um, learn things so much faster when we're involving that sort of element of playfulness. And, um, yeah, there's lots of research to say that your brain, uh, the way that it works is your neurons fire together much faster when you're learning things through play. So lots of parents have told me stories over the years of how they're encouraging their children to get dressed. And it could be as simple as, you know, to put their, um, 
pajamas on you pretend that the sleeves are the the tunnels and the arms of the trains going through the tunnel or whatever like that it's <laughs> oh, pretty cool um, it is it's kind of fun and 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 the idea is that you you're you're kind of putting them into a state of you know playfulness a bit of fantasy which takes them out of um you know just the day-to-day you've got to do this because our kids from the moment they get up are being told what to do um what i really like is to get them thinking about things again engaging that top-down thinking by asking them lots of questions um, and talking to them in a way and sort of noticing and mentioning what they're doing oh I like the way you've put the duvet on the bed even though that duvet might be a bit lumpy like you know looks like bring a toto oh it looks like there's one more thing to do and then you've got a child who's looking around for the pillow or whatever Um, quite often I think that as parents we underestimate the influence we have on our children um, so talking to them in certain ways will will be more likely to engage cooperation um, but what what tends to get their backs up is if we um, spend our time not communicating so well and then reverting to sort of force um, and the, and for some of our children that word no really provokes a strong reaction mm-hmm. um, and so there's there's ways that we can sort of help them um, accept our reasonable limits and usually those types of kids have a, a very persistent temperament they're the kinds of children who always want one more it wouldn't matter how many things you could give them that they're just going to negotiate and negotiate and negotiate um, so quite a lot of the kids that I talk to parents about are persistent children um, who, who just don't go, give up easily which actually if you think about it in an adult is a wonderful quality right yeah, I can remember one of my daughter's teachers, um, I think it was my husband away at one of the school camps, and he remembers this conversation and um, this gorgeous teacher, her name was Hilary Johnson, and she was Hilary Johnson, and she there was a couple of kids that were just just what you described. And, and she just, and Dean goes, how do you cope with, you know, especially a lot of them all at once. And she just goes, these are going to be amazing adults of the future. And I was like, wow. You know, I thought, how lucky are we that our daughter is being taught by someone like that, that can see the potential in each child. And that's such a great way to look at it, Justine. That's amazing because that is a trait we want in our children, that they don't give up easily. (laughs) Yeah. And what I would add, though, for parents listening who have a persistent child is that what is um, normal for their temperament is also incredibly frustrating. Um, Yeah. yeah. Um, Yeah. To to constantly feel, and what what parents will say to me is that they feel drained, they feel worn down. And so those kids really need to learn how to be um, get into a position where they have some skills where they can get unlocked from that sort of determined idea I want what I want when I want it. I mean, let's face it, as humans, we all want what we want when we want it, um, but we also need to learn some collaborative problem-solving approaches. Um, so the parents, in order to sort of um, thrive in that way and to really support their child, have to help them adapt into different situations um, because they're going to those kids are going to bump up against you know their peers or work colleagues later in life, and um, so they do actually need some help and understanding. You know, so it's a strength and can also Be make it tricky incredibly stressful absolutely mm-hmm. and it's great that you can go in and actually work with them because who better to be that person to start the communication process than their parents you know yeah. to actually yeah. give them the skill the skills because then it empowers everyone within the family otherwise it 
you know, it's it's really it's very stressful when you're you know when you have a child like that. You must just do they just you know throw the door open and welcome you and it's like quick come in here we need you (laughs) well it's really interesting because quite often I I think it's worth remembering that for people to come and talk to somebody about their family takes quite a lot of courage and um so so it can be seen as something which is um there are some barriers there and I think that in the past there was a bit of a a stigma um seen with help seeking and hopefully these days I think that stigma has been broken down a bit and we can sort of normalize it um so so parents need to know that you know the people who come and see me are actually really good people doing the best they can with the skills they have um they're not sort of dysfunctional families families in crisis they're people who they know that there's an issue that they want some help with and they need another mind to work on that uh, issue with because sometimes we're just too close to our own our own stuff, really. You know, it's like what I do. Sometimes we can just all be a bit too close. And it's not, and I love that you said that, that it's not that you're failing as a parent. It's just we're just a little bit too close and we've run out of the strategies that we've got. And it's just great to sort of bring in another mind that can actually come in. You're a lot more objective because even you were saying with your own children, sometimes life happens and we're not as responsive we maybe react a little more than what we would want Um, but at the end of the day we're human and um, just to sort of say look I need some help here I think it's actually brilliant I think it just helps to sort of leapfrog a lot of issues actually which is great absolutely and going back to the the bottom-up um, behavior or the top-down thinking uh, it's not only the children who have that issue because the moment that someone in our family is having a you know a bottom-up response a reactive response which is how you described it which I really like that highlight in the reactivity um, when we get into those cycles where everyone is reacting um, it's just a the quality of the interactions um, it reduces significantly and so by working on the issue and standing back from it um, it allows parents to then sort of activate their top-down thinking where um, that they are the ones who are in charge um, because the reality is that actually our children do need us to keep them safe um, we all know that but sometimes it helps to just stop and sort of refocus and regroup and realize that you know whilst it might feel like our children are you know maybe a little bit out of control or overreacting actually it's our job to be that calm alert focused person and help to steady everyone get them back into balance Um, and and actually if parents look at what they do on a daily basis they are already doing these things all the time um, and, and so what I think helps is to, to really sort of increase the level of awareness about all the amazing things parents are already doing, because quite often we can be a little bit harsh um, and, and judge ourselves based on the behaviour that we see, which is um, not a very good indicator of the quality of your parenting. Um, what I always <laughs> say to parents is it's about your response to the behaviour. Mm. and understanding where it came from and meeting those needs and teaching skills. So, you know, we're, we're passing on skills and values to our kids so that they develop and have a healthy life. And also to take it easy on themselves, because I think when we, when we look, when we're in our, what's going on, we can tend to sort of run everything together rather than just stepping back and, and actually looking at specific moments because 
it's not 24 hours a day, seven days a week that that behavior is, but it can feel like it is. And so therefore it's really easy to then put the onus back on themselves and go, okay, I'm really failing at this. But actually if they dissect the day, they'll find that there's some great moments as well as some good moments to quote good to great parenting. And also um, there's probably some not so great moments as well, but there'll be a combination and uh, yeah, just to take the load off their own shoulders sometimes because are they caring a lot at the moment, Justine? I mean, what, what are you seeing? Because obviously the world went online, uh, work came home, school came home, parents are now trying to compete for the Wi-Fi to do their jobs, and then kids are needing to be online for school. I mean, what problems are you seeing and what solutions are, have you sort of seen as a result of all of this happening? Mm. So I think that um, there there are problems and that's true that a lot of the things that are happening to families, they are not in control of, um, they're being done unto and things are changing quite rapidly, children being at school, children being at home learning, um, parents expected to work from home. So lots of people in the house. Uh, The reality is that a lot of people have found just from a practical perspective, there isn't really one room in the house that hasn't been trashed. (laughs) Um, So, you know, you can laugh about it because, you know, you just think, well, yeah, it's annoying. Um, So what I would say is, you know, if that was an issue, try and find one part of the house where you can make your little kind of cozy oasis that you can retreat to so that you can, yeah, get a a few minutes where if that clutter was the thing that was bothering you, um, you wouldn't have to look at it. Um, So so that's a big thing for parents to find their their way to sort of manage that. Um, In terms of the relationships that are at home, the reality is that a lot of people's relationships have been under pressure. Um, And so... And that can be a good thing and it can also make it really tough um, because, again, it's it's an opportunity to learn and think, okay, so how can we sort of work together as a team? Um, so what stuff are we noticing that our kids are doing that it is helpful? Maybe your children are spending a little bit too much time online talking to their friends and things like that. But if it's giving you a bit of a break, I would say don't beat yourself up too much about that um, because we are going to get out of this and we will find other things to do. Um, but I think really in, in situations like this, it's it's not a time to apply a very harsh critical lens. Um, but our brains have got a very strong negative bias. So if we were going around measuring ourselves up to some sort of mythical uh, perfect family, um, then, then we might feel a little bit of stress. But I think really it's about surviving, getting through the day um, and doing the best you can with the skills that you do have. Um, keeping Looking after yourself is really important too. I think you just put in a very, very good point, actually, which a lot of people, I, I don't know if you realise the importance, um, is that when we compare our life to a fantasy, we're actually going to create the negative bias. That's actually the dynamic that is creating the negativity. So if we can kind of look at what's a realistic view of a family that is dealing with all of these things, then we're not going to create the high, which will then create the low. So it's actually a really cool point that you just brought up. And I just wanted to um, kind of hone in on that because that cycle of ups and downs can create all sorts of chaos. And But when we kind of bring them a little bit closer together, we're, we're kind of can operate at a, at a much 
more not even keel necessarily, but we're you know the dynamics not as is is strong. Um, so that was just a really good point. Thanks, Justine, just to sort of really capture. Um, do you think that the parents' upbringing has an influence on? the way they upbring upbring their children. God, that's bad English, but they bring up their children. So it's kind of like all the things they perceive they missed out on as children because they either had a mean mother or a mean father. Do you think that is why we can see some behavioural issues in children these days or is that more of a myth? I think absolutely we are, um, you know, as they say, products of our environment. Um, and, and what I like to talk to people about is the fact that we've inherited a blueprint from the moment we started being parented about the way that parents are in the world. Um, and we need to be very um, open-minded about that. And when we can sort of see things happening that perhaps we don't like, um, it's very important not to judge ourselves too harshly um, because these responses that we have, um, you know, they really are ingrained. It really very much is a blueprint. Um, and so what, what tends to happen is that over time, you know, during the course of a day uh, will be a certain parenting style and maybe that, that style is, you know, our best parenting style where we're reasonable and we're in balance, um, coping reasonably well. And then what happens is somewhere around about three or four o'clock when our energy levels start to, you know, get down a bit lower, um, we revert to type. And so things come out of our mouths that we think, oh my goodness, I know where that came from. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, we, and then we feel a bit guilty. So then we might try and sort of swing the pendulum a bit and be extra nice because we're feeling bad. Um, but, but what I think happens is, is you know, over time we develop an awareness of this and if we can use it to our advantage and really get some leverage on ourselves and say, okay, well, how can I set myself up so I'm least likely to be under that stress or to react and sort of give in to those negative impulses? Um, because, again, that, you know, that ability to keep up with our uh, top-down thinking is, is all related to our ability to manage our stress that we're under. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely got a huge part to play. And parents tell me that all the time. Yeah. How many times it's like, oh, I just sound exactly like my mother or exactly <laughs> like my father. And you're yeah. like, stop. <laughs> Where did that come from? Yeah. I was never <laughs> going to be like my parents. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then it shows up. That's cool. And so as you are working with the child, do you find that you are helping to heal the parent as well from past hurts or is it more just once you give the parent coping skills then everything just sort of settles down i mean how does how what i guess i'm asking what is the result you're seeing from what you do yeah that's such a nice um, way of putting it. Um, I get goosebumps when parents tell me stories about what's gone differently. Um, and I'm thinking about a conversation that I have with, um, I had it with a dad who was talking um, in a session about how something was going on with his child. And we talked about, um, you know, we were asking questions, what does that child need? Um and, we, and that was just part of the, the conversation and I didn't think too much of it at the time. And then the next time we got together, what the dad said to me was that um, he noticed his child was going and having a lie down on his bed when he was feeling a bit upset and needed a bit of time. Um, and he just made this comment and he said to me, you know what, he's doing what he needs to do. 
Mm. Um, and, and that really was interesting to me because I was able to see how, you know, the things that we talked about, it's part of a conversation, if you like. It's not telling someone what to do. It's exploring possibilities, asking questions, um, and really giving people the space to think and actually come up with the solutions to their problems because um, I think it's really important. If someone's coming to you, they might see you as an expert, but what I like to say to parents is that actually parents are the experts on their children, um, and quite often uh, they sort of discount just how valuable that expert knowledge is. Uh, you know, we know when our kids come into the room, if they've had a bad day or something's happened, we can just sense it instantly because we've been watching them since they were tiny. Um, and so we need to really give ourselves um, full credit for having that expert knowledge. Um, but, yeah, what I what I do is um, just listen and um hear what parents are saying and I think one of the things I also really enjoy is being a bit of an authentic voice um, for the child because the child is actually giving us a lot of really good feedback about how they perceive what's going on in the family um, and so in a way I like to think of myself not just as a supporter of the, the parent but a bit of an advocate for the child by you know bringing such shining a bit of a light if you like on some of the things that are going on that are going to really help everybody and that's a really cool thing actually so to really not look at the the behavior or what's going on the whole dynamic because it's a dynamic and everyone's involved so it's to be able to look at that and go well actually this is I love that you said that it's feedback on how we can go to the next level in our family. You know, it's just, it is, it's, it's a really great form of feedback. And it's, it's unfortunate almost in a way that we all let things get to that level before we seek help. But, you know, we do that all the time and, and no matter what area of life. But wouldn't it be amazing if we just preempted the process and go, you know what, I want my parenting to go to the next level. I want to be, I want to have my skill sets and my toolbox, you know, ready to go. Um, but we don't, we kind of wait till the wheels or at least one or two of the wheels have fallen off and then we kind of reach, reach for help. But it sounds like you give them really good skills to kind of cope with the next time things like that can happen. But I bet they all wish they've got you on speed dial at the same time. I think what's really good is that people need a bit of a context to be able to work through an issue. So they might have had some awareness that something was going on. They're learning something about their child's temperament or, you know, maybe a developmental stage they're going through. Um, but, yeah, what, what I like to do is to help give them a lens um, and they look through that and sort of see things a little differently. So it's just about sort of empowering them with some different ways of, of looking at things. Yeah, I know, and I think we can all um, we can all um, definitely um, take advantage of that. What do you find is the most useful tool that people or um, that they sort of say this was the most useful thing that I used out of everything that you gave me? Mm. Um, so what I first of all start with is I, I have a look at each particular family, but without fail, what I find is that people are spending a lot more of their time and energy uh, focusing on the negative things that are going on. Um, and so what we do is we start looking at all the things that, that are going well. Um, and we also start to look at the way we're communicating with our children because quite a lot of the time parents expect that their child will hear their very helpful advice, 
um, and, and in the way it's intended. But the sad thing is that our children do not experience our intentions. Um, and so what we know is that when we, we spend a lot of our time being critical, um, that, that our child hears that as criticism, but it, it's very demotivating and it does have a big effect on relationships. So, um, yeah, I think it's about, being aware of uh, how many times you are being critical and how much of what you're saying is negative um, and, and then sort of changing that so that you get the ratio around the other way, noticing and mentioning what's going well and being really descriptive. Um, that's a specific skill that I help people learn. That's a, that's a great skill. And even just noticing that will help calm them down as well because they'll mm-hmm. see both both is actually happening, which is something that's very um, true with what I do with people as well. So do you have a guiding principle or theme for your life? We're just going to switch gears a little bit because I want to find out more about you. Um, but what, you know, has there been a guiding theme or principle that's gone through your whole life or do you find it's changing as we're growing um, through the decades, so to speak? Mm. Um, I would say that as I've got older, I've become more appreciative of the things that are happening right now. Um, I think that when I was younger, I spent a lot of my time and used a lot of my energy um, focusing on what was going to be happening in the future. And so I, I think actually even the, even the things that we're experiencing now, even if we feel like those things are, are unhelpful or even unpleasant, I've learned to develop a bigger sort of window of tolerance, if you like, uh, and just appreciate that with that maturity, um, there are always some helpful things in those moments and some things to be learned. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. not always easy though, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, that's speaking my language because the challenge is always there to serve us in some way, but very wise to go looking for it. Um, what it tends to push your boundaries? Um, so we're just speaking about those challenging moments, but what tends to, you know, if your comfort zone is being pushed, how do you cope and what do you do? And almost what tends to push it the most? Mm. Um, I'm not really good at asking people for help and I don't like disappointing people. Um, I get frustrated when I feel that people aren't being inspired or encouraged. Um, But I guess on the other side, if someone's asking me a question and I'm not sure about it, I'm familiar around that area, it makes me really curious to find out what the answer could be. Uh, and I like that idea that mm, that's a, that's not something that I've I've come across. I really want to find out about that. Yeah, so nice. it's two sided. So staying in the question almost helps you move your comfort zone forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Sending your eyes on a quest. Questions, nice. <laughs> and so, how do you get? You know, when when it's tough, and I guess. Business can be tough. And that's what I like about Remarkable Woman Radio. It's why we talk about what happens when the proverbial hits the fan, because that's reality. You know, that that's who we are. We can't be perfect all the time, like parents. We can't be perfect parents all the time. So, so what do you do when you when the literally the proverbial hits the fan for you? Mm, mm. Um, go for a walk. 
and um, you know that sort of idea that you change your your physical state it, it influences your emotional state um, because you know if it's hitting the fan I'm going to have an emotional reaction so I really can't respond in a way that I might like to so I've got to look after that um, I also process a lot by talking to friends um, they they can help me to feel more grounded um, and just I think so that we kind of almost have to anticipate, you know, especially with what we've been through in the last couple of years, that there will be a lot of things coming our way where it is tough. And so I like to think, well, I'm not going to wait for it to happen. I'm going to prepare myself because it is going to happen. So what things am I doing already to make myself be better prepared for when that does happen? Um, and that's a really good analogy for us as parents because, you know, quite often I'll be talking to people and, you know, they're busy um, professional couples or busy working couples um, with children with different agendas and, you know, often they don't have a lot of resource outside themselves. Um, and, and so that's really difficult because they're going to face challenges. And if they don't have a backup system, a support system, some strong people around them, um, that actually is going to make it really difficult when that stuff does go on that's really tough. Um, so creating a village and having people around you, your friends, um, you know, maybe you don't have family that live nearby, but you've got to kind of have that support system around you so that you are backed up because, you know, that old saying that it takes a village, it's true. Uh, we do need to have people around us because because, you know, as parents, we can only give the love and support when we've had it given to us. Um, so that's really, really important. Yeah, so finding ways to keep the, the glass half full mm. rather than half empty as well. I'm just summarising what you said a little bit. And and um, and I like that about the village aspect because it does. We're not, we're not a silo. We're not, um, and even though it might have felt that over the last little while, we're definitely not. And um, it's a great advice. And because I, I just imagining when you were talking there that I see two busy parents, you know, I can see a lot of guilt, um, you know, that they put on themselves that they're not there all the time for their children. And, you know, and that that in itself is can wear them down as well. And um, but just having that support and realising they can't be everything for their children anyway. Um, I just thought it was really wise. Thank you for that. It's really nice. I can imagine someone listening to that will go, oh, okay, yeah, you know, that's how you do it moving forward. Okay, so if you could go back and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give that younger version of yourself? Mm, um. I think I've been really lucky to have, um, you know, a life where I've enjoyed a lot of freedoms and privileges that other people have worked hard for me to have. Um, so advice, um, yeah, I, I think young people need to have time to make some mistakes and not always get it perfect. Um, I think I spent quite a bit of my time um, trying to do that. Yeah. And I think as I've got older, I've, I've realised that, you know, that's a, a bit of a pointless thing to be doing. Um, so, yeah, maybe I wouldn't say don't try so hard because obviously we want to try our hardest, um, but maybe don't stress so much about it and enjoy it a bit more. Yeah. And don't, don't like I, I look back at, at life and I go, thank goodness we didn't have social media in, in my day. 
you know? Yeah. Oh my because, goodness. Oh my goodness. You know, and for now, everything is documented. They it must be so hard to step out of line mm. and because everything is documented. So, you know, I'd almost advise the kids of today, don't have your camera on so much. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Just actually look around and enjoy what's going on. But that's old fashioned of me, I'm sure. Yeah. And I think um I'm probably a person who's always been quite sensitive because, um, you know, people, if they say something, and I hear this a lot from parents, um, that their children um, feel bad if someone's making a critical comment. Well, uh, I like something that my husband once said, which was just because somebody says something doesn't mean it's true. Um, so, you know, that 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 um, concept is something which is really difficult to impart to a younger person because, um, of course, what we say is worth one point, what their peers and other people, friends say is worth 100 points. Um, but if we can start telling them those sorts of things and let them know that actually the stuff they see isn't real, um, that's that's really important as well. Do you find that there's a lot of kids that are taking on more and more these days of how their friends are feeling if things aren't going so well. So it's almost like the kids have one face that they will show people and then there's a whole different thing going on that then they might not even be prepared for, you know, to deal with. Um, do mm. you find that that is part of um, what can actually um, sort of upset the kids these days or is it more about or is you are you more strategizing with the parents about about how to deal with children um so you meaning that you know that children will almost if you like create a different persona or filter the 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 public view is that the kind of area that you're going into there's a little bit no not really it was more about um a lot of them uh dealing with a lot of their friends things as well you know there's you know some of their friends I'm sure might have some fairly fairly big things to deal with and that must be really hard for a child to sort of take that on and I'm thinking probably more the 12 13 year olds when they're um do you find that that's a factor in anything that you deal with I think um what I hear from young people that I know is that there's a lot more tolerance around um, those sorts of issues. I, perhaps um, w- where I would see a difficulty would be if, if young people were, um, you know, having to kind of deal with issues that maybe the adults in the children's lives um, would best be suited to deal with. But um, I think young people now are more aware of, of the issues to do with mental health and all those types of things. Um I would hope that parents would be able to talk to their children and say, you know, quite often if you want to know how your child is on these sorts of things, you can say, well, what do you think your friends would say about a particular issue? Or, you know, if your friend was trying to um, deal with that, what do you think they would do? And what you'll get is a really good indicator of of what your child thinks, but you'll get a feeling almost testing the waters um, to see how they might be able to navigate those kinds of challenges. But, yeah, it's a tough one because I think kids are, um, they're living in a world where there's so much information available um, and it's at such a, uh, a high pace that um, it's really easy to get caught up in all that. So it's it's got some benefits, but it also has some difficulties as well. Yeah, no, great answer though. That's, that's beautiful. Um, one of the questions that I love to ask my guests, are if you could have dinner with three people, Alive or dead, doesn't matter. Who would it be and why would you choose them? 
Uh, well, I like Dawn French because I think she's incredibly funny and she's quite naughty and she's got a great outlook on life. So I think she'd be a lot of good fun. Um, I also thought Nelson Mandela, um, well, apparently he was known as a troublemaker in his earlier years. So there's a bit of a theme emerging here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't quite worked out my third person yet. Um, but yeah, those are, those are my starters. Oh, that sounds really cool. Sounds like it'll be quite a fun, a very fun, yeah, Dawn French. Amazing. Maybe Stephen Fry because he's got a um, such an encyclopedic um, brain and would, would be able to tell you all sorts of interesting stories as well. He'd be able to cross between the comedy and the political mm-hmm, and, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very the well-rounded, <laughs> a very well-rounded table there. Yeah. <laughs> the little bit of um, troublemaker in there. We could ask you why, but we won't. We don't have time for that. <laughs> So we're coming um, to the end of our interview. So I just have one more question. Um, This is Remarkable Woman Radio, and I love to ask, um, is women who own who we are or should be owning who we are and the magnificence that we are, um, what is remarkable about you and what you do and who you are? Mm, Thank you. Um, Well, thanks for the opportunity to come and talk to you at Remarkable Woman Radio. It's been a real pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Um, So for me, owning who I am, I've spent my life, um, you know, first of all, working as a lawyer and then training as a parenting coach. I've always observed humans and tried to work out what makes them tick. Um, And it wasn't really until I had my own family that I realised that this was something I really uh, enjoyed doing and I was good at. So um, really, I've put my life experience um, and and gathered some training along the way. And now I've got all this, um, these abilities, I can put them into practice to help other people use that knowledge to connect with their children. Uh, And my aim is to help them raise beautiful families that impact the world. Oh, what a beautiful mission. That's that's wonderful. So, Justine, so how do people get hold of you? Is through your website the best? And would you like to share it with us now? Yes, absolutely. Um, ggparenting.co.nz, uh, flick me an email. Uh, love to hear from parents. I also have a Facebook page, um, goodgreatparenting.com, and I'm on Instagram as well, ggparenting. So, yeah, um, just, just do reach out and I offer a, you know, 30-minute complimentary call, no obligation to chat through any concerns that you might have. I love hearing from parents uh, and I like to um, hear all about their families and the concerns that they have. Um, So, yeah, thank you, Mandy. Thank you so much for joining me today, Justine. I really appreciate you being there. So just one more time, her website is gtgparenting.co.nz and we will make sure that all her details are um, below the, the audio when this comes out. So thank you so much for joining me, Justine. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Mandy. Thank you for listening to Remarkable Woman Radio. For more episodes and more details of today's show, please go to remarkablemindset.com. Let me ask you, what makes you remarkable?